Welcome to Public Historians at Work, a podcast series from the Center for Public History at the University of Houston. This season, we're examining how public historians engage with race and the roots of systemic racism in our city, state, and nation. In this special supplement, graduate students from the University of Houston highlight voices and stories from the Third Ward, a historic Black neighborhood at the heart of the city. Let's listen in. When I was about seven years old, um, my sister, uh, older, 12 years old at that time, died from typhoid fever. And it was my feeling, uh, as I watched the children, it was a typhoid epidemic. As I watched the children uh, who lived, uh, the children who became very sick, that those who had money, who had the um, availability of medical attention, seemed to have lived. And my sister was one of the few that died. And I felt it was lack of medical care. The doctor came only one time. And though she was very, very sick, we were not able to pay for it. So I decided at that time that I was going to be a doctor and I was going to see all children. I was going to see them regardless of whether they had money, regardless of who they were or where they lived. I was going to see all children. voice you just listened to is of Dr. Edith Irby Jones, one of the many African-American women doctors who served the community of Houston's Third Ward through the Houston Negro Hospital. In a segregated Houston, as well as throughout the country, healthcare for Black Americans in the early 20th century was subpar compared to the care that was available to white Americans. African-Americans were more susceptible to diseases such as tuberculosis, typhoid fever, cholera, or typhus due to poor sanitation in their water supply, in their work environments, and because a higher percentage lived in poverty. It was estimated that almost half of the deaths of Black Houstonians in the 1910s were preventable and directly caused by the separate and unequal living conditions of African-Americans within the city. Very few hospitals in Houston treated Black patients. An overwhelming majority of white doctors refused to see Black patients in their offices. Those who did see Black patients usually required them to wait in segregated waiting rooms or enter through separate doors from the white patients. The Houston Negro Hospital was therefore constructed in 1925 after the Union Jeremiah Hospital, founded in 1919 in the Fourth Ward, was no longer able to support Houston's Black population. The hospital was dedicated on Juneteenth of 1926 to celebrate Black emancipation and opened to patients in May of 1927. The hospital adopted a prepaid system of memberships in which patients could pay for a year's health care in one annual payment of $6. This helped Black Houstonians afford the costs of health care. Renamed in 1961 as the Riverside General Hospital, the Houston Negro Hospital provided more than a place for Black Houstonians to get health care. It offered Black physicians employment. 
This was especially important for female African-American doctors who were very few in the early to mid 20th century. Even though both the Howard University School of Medicine and Meharry Medical College admitted women into their programs within 10 years of opening, black women faced discrimination for both their race and their sex. The black women who broke through these barriers and overcame systematic and overt oppression to become physicians in the United States deserve to be celebrated. This episode is dedicated to five of the African-American female doctors who operated in Houston's Third Ward and had ties to the Houston Negro Hospital. Doctors Thelma Patton Law, Catherine J. Rowett, Edith Irby Jones, L. Natalie Carroll, and Judith Craven. Becoming a doctor while Black in the United States has historically been an incredibly difficult process. By the turn of the 20th century, there were only about 10 schools in the United States that regularly admitted Black medical students. Meharry University in Nashville, Tennessee, founded in 1876, and Howard University in Washington, D.C., founded in 1868, educated most Black physicians at the time. In 1910, a report was published by Abraham Flexner, a Harvard-educated, quote, educational reformer, unquote, who had been hired to investigate America's medical schools and list schools that met or failed to meet new requirements of the American Medical Association, or AMA. Almost half of all medical schools investigated failed to meet the new standards and closed within 20 years. Of the schools offering medical education and training to women and African Americans at the time, often chronically underfunded, most were forced to close due to the results of the Flexner Report. Only Meharry and Howard passed. The American Medical Association had a further limiting effect on the eligibility of black doctors to practice medicine. Quote, it was a catch-22, Dr. Edith Irby Jones said. You had to be a member of the local society and of the state society. But if the local society won't accept you, then you can't be a member of the state or national organization. Unquote. Black physicians suffered under this blatant discrimination. In the late 19th century, black doctors began forming their own medical societies. The Lone Star State Medical Association, formed in 1886, represented black Texas physicians, while the National Medical Association, formed in 1895, represented black physicians throughout the country. The NMA remains the oldest and largest organization of black healthcare professionals in the U.S. Faced with systematic challenges and discrimination, black women nevertheless persisted. Take Dr. Thelma Patton Law, one of the first Houstonians employed at the Houston Negro Hospital, as well as the first black female doctor in Houston and the first black female OBGYN in Texas. 
Born on December 30, 1900, in Houston, she got her medical degree from Howard University Medical School in 1923 and later received an honor certificate in gynecology during her internship at the Freedmen's Hospital in Washington, D.C. Having moved to Houston, Dr. Patton Law went on to become one of the founders of the city's first Planned Parenthood Center in 1935. In 1940, she was elected the first female president of the Lone Star State Medical Association. For more than 40 years, this incredible physician was dedicated to the health care of Houston's women in poverty. The path forged by Dr. Patton Law was followed by subsequent women such as Dr. Catherine J. Rowett. Born in Houston in 1923 to one of the first black physicians in Houston, Dr. Rupert O. Rowett, she was later taught physiology by Dr. Thelma Patton Law's husband, James H. Law, at Jack Yates High School in Houston's Third Ward. In 1946, Dr. Rowett graduated from Howard University College of Medicine and completed her internship at Freedmen's Hospital. She then returned home and became the first black pediatrician in Houston, working at Jefferson Davis Hospital, in addition to being added to the staffs of the Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital. She served as chief of pediatrics at both Riverside General and St. Elizabeth's Hospitals and established the Well Baby Clinic at Riverside, which operated until a local clinic began offering similar services. Dr. Rowett was a charter board member of the Harris County Children's Protective Services and a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Harris County Medical Society, Texas Medical Association, American Medical Association, and the Lone Star State Medical Association. Among her many accomplishments, Dr. Rowett was named a Woman of Courage in 1985 by the Radcliffe Club of Houston. In 1986, she was elected to the Texas Black Women's Hall of Fame at the Museum of African American Life and Culture, which is located in Dallas. One year later, in 1987, Dr. Rowett was recognized by the March of Dimes Birth Defects Foundation with an award for her service dedicated to lowering infant mortality and birth defects among infants, especially in the African American community. Other Third Ward women joined the ranks of Drs. Patton Law and Rowett. Though born in Nashville, Tennessee in 1950, Dr. L. Natalie Carroll later attended high school at Jack Yates in Houston. She says that she decided to enter the medical field when she was very young because, quote, I love science, I love people, and because I love both, I thought that was the perfect combination, unquote. Dr. Carroll graduated from the Harry Medical College in 1974 and completed her residency at Howard University's School of Medicine at the Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C., and with the Howard University of Medicine at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. She was the first black woman to complete a residency in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as the first woman to complete an internship in surgery at the Washington Hospital Center. 
The hospital was hesitant to allow women to train in surgery because of what Dr. Carroll calls the locker room issue. She says, quote, One of the surgeons in the department said, Well, where is she going to dress? And I said, Why? Don't you have nurses and aren't they women? And he said, Yes. So I said, Well, I would suggest that probably the same location would be a reasonable thing. Unquote. Dr. Carroll served in the Army and ran a women's health clinic at Fort Hood, Texas from 1978 to 1980 before moving to Houston. Since then, she has worked at many Houston hospitals, including Riverside General, St. Luke's, Herman Memorial, and St. Joseph's Hospital, in addition to currently operating a private practice in Houston's Third Ward and being elected president of the National Medical Association in 2002. Though not a native Houstonian, Dr. Judith Craven's service to the city also deserves recognition. Born in Cleveland, Ohio, she was the first black woman to receive a medical degree from Baylor College of Medicine in 1974. She additionally earned her master's degree in public health from the University of Texas and attended the Harvard University program for senior managers in government. In Houston, Dr. Craven was appointed Chief of Anesthesia at Riverside General Hospital. Then, in 1980, she was the first woman and only the second African-American Director of Healthcare Services for the City of Houston Health Department. In 2001, she was the first Black woman placed on the board of the University of Texas system, and she has since served on the United Way of the Texas Gulf Coast, the Robert Wood Johnson National Advisory Committee on Healthcare for the Uninsured, the Houston Committee for Private Sector Initiatives, as well as many other organizations. Dr. Craven was awarded the Outstanding Contributions of Public Health Award in 1984, Outstanding Service to Medicine Award in 1985, and Outstanding Woman of America and Women on the Move. Highlighting the dedication and many accomplishments of these women is not to minimize their challenging journey to becoming doctors. For example, Dr. Edith Irby Jones, whose voice started this episode, was often the only woman or African-American in her medical community. Born on a tenant farm in rural Arkansas in 1927, she later attended Knoxville College in Tennessee. In 1948, Nine years before the Little Rock Nine integrated Central High School, she was the first black student to enter into the medical school of the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, Arkansas. She was also one of only three women in her class. Dr. Jones's hometown churches came together to donate what they could to cover the University of Arkansas Medical School's $500 tuition, And after her attendance in an all-white school became national news, she received letters with money from all over the country. Dr. Jones said, quote, I think people just wanted to see me go to college, to medical school, knew that I was poor and did not have the finances, so they supplied me. When I went over to register, I had my $500. $500. 
I had it in nickels, unquote. After she graduated in 1952, Dr. Jones opened a practice there. She left Hot Springs a few years later to begin her residency in internal medicine at the Baylor University College of Medicine in Houston. She was the only black doctor in the Baylor system of residency at the time. She finished her residency with three months spent at Freedmen's Hospital at Howard University in Washington, D.C., before moving to Houston to open a private practice at 2601 Prospect Street in the Third Ward. While operating her private practice, Dr. Jones was part of the staff at Riverside Hospital, in addition to helping establish Mercy Hospital in Southeast Houston to serve the poor. From there, Dr. Edith Irby Jones was unanimously elected the first female president of the National Medical Association in 1985, and in 1986, Houston declared Edith Irby Jones Day to honor her work helping the poor in Houston's Third Ward. Her legacy of medical care extends outside of Houston, as she also established Dr. Edith Irby Jones clinics in Mexico, Haiti, and Uganda to help provide health care to those in need. brief biographies only hint at the vibrant and rich lives and medical practices led by African-American women physicians. There are many other pioneers in Houston who also deserve celebration, including Dr. Eula Perry, Dr. June Coleman, who founded the Serenity Clinic for Women's Healthcare in the Third Ward, Dr. Joanne Rogers, Dr. Virginia Stull, Dr. Joy Carter, who was the first black and first female chief medical examiner in the history of the United States while she lived in Washington, D.C., and the chief medical examiner of Harris County after moving to Houston. And finally, Dr. Mae Jennison, who was the first black woman in space. These women dedicated their lives to their patients and uplifted the medical system as a whole. Dr. L. Natalie Carroll summarizes this mission well. African-American physicians in general, quote, have the experiences of trying to figure out ways to better serve our patients and encourage them to seek care and also to maintain good health. And that tends to be more of an issue with not just African-Americans, but poor patients, because oftentimes, because of an innate lack of hope, they tend not to access care, and they also tend not to continue pursuing good health care. I always felt that it was important to be able to make myself available, especially to African-American women in the community, and convenient to them, because so often, when there is not access to medical care, often within walking distance or within bus ride distance, the care is not sought or obtained." Unquote. Hearing about these historical and contemporary disparities in access to healthcare doesn't reconcile well with other medical statistics about Houston, such as it being home to one of the world's largest medical complexes at the Texas Medical Center. 
A 2001 study on the COVID-19 vaccine rollout reported by the Kinder Institute noted severe disparities in access to resources between the west side of Houston and vulnerable communities in the eastern part of the city, like Third Ward. It is therefore all the more important not only to learn about the lives and work of African-American female physicians like Dr. Selma Patton-Law, Catherine J. Rowett, Edith Irby Jones, L. Natalie Carroll, and Judith Craven, but also to heed their call and follow their model of service for those in need. This episode was written using the University of Houston Center for Public History project titled To Bear Fruit for Our Race, where there is a collection of oral interviews, biographies, and stories related to African-American doctors in Houston. If you want to dig into this topic, you should start there. Other sources include Emmett J. Scott's 1915 article titled Efficiency, published in The Red Book of Houston, the Kinder Institute on COVID-19 Vaccine Rollout, and other histories of Houston's Third Ward in Houston History Magazine, The Houston Chronicle, and TexasHappens.com. Thank you for listening and learning. Thank you for joining us for this special episode of Public Historians at Work. For more stories from the Third Ward, check out the oral history collection in the University of Houston Libraries at digital.lib.uh.edu. To learn more about the Center for Public History, find us online at uh.edu slash class slash cph, or on Facebook and Twitter at uhcphistory. Remember, we are all keepers of our history. <laughs>